Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's President's Speaker Series event. Uh, my name is David Mador. I'm the Vice President and Medical Director for Northern Alberta for Alberta Health Services. And today's moderator, we're coming to you live from the Bill Black Auditorium uh, and the Glenrose Hospital in Edmonton. Uh, I'd like to thank today's speaker, Andy Jones, for making the big trip to Edmonton and for making the time to share his thoughts with us. Andy is the Managing Director for AJ Catering Consultants and the past National Chair of the United Kingdom Hospital Caterers Association. His topic today is hospital-based malnutrition, why we should be worried and what we can do about it. Good afternoon all. I'm honoured to be here and uh, thank you to uh, allowing me to speak at uh, a very prestigious event, uh, your presidential speaker series. Um, as you've just heard, I am passionate about hospital food. I've been in uh, the NHS now 35 years. Um, I'm, be- I'm now called a radical. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm called a radical healthcare ad- advocator or innovator. And on Twitter, I'm often called other things as well. But my passion for delivering for the patient and putting patient focus will never diminish. So why am I so passionate about all of this? Well, it's simple. We keep telling ourselves and everything, everybody else the same things. We know what the problem was, but we keep saying the same thing. So I get fed up of hearing it. Malnutrition is a wicked problem. It's a growing problem. I call it the age quake of the baby boomers. In the UK now, everybody who enters the NHS, 85% of every patient is over 65 years of age. 30 to 40% of those coming into the NHS are malnourished. And while they're in hospital, we're actually not helping that. We're actually seeing people go home malnourished. The 1980s, that's how patients were fed catered for in an NHS hospital, prone, lying down, the nurse giving the food. How many of you try to eat laying down? Patients are actually dying and choking. But they're actually just putting it down to a thing. They're old. Why have we still got these barriers? What are the barriers? The barriers can be as simple as just being not patient-focused, not understanding the needs of the patient laying in a hospital bed. It's about talking. It's about removing those barriers. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we went about taking those barriers down. There are still barriers there. Attitudes. We've all seen it. The attitudes of the staff, the caterers, the dietitians, the nurses, the healthcare professionals are all a block. If I had a pound or a dollar as I'm now finding out. For every time I hear, that's not my job. I haven't got time. It's not my responsibility. Food's not really medicine. It doesn't come in a jar. It doesn't come in a plastic wrapper that you can't get into. Fact. We were taking many different routes to get to what we thought was the, where we wanted to be. It was like a railway line. We were all crossing each other. We were all moving in one direction. But we weren't. We'd hit the crossroads and we're all going off at different directions. So we took a step back. We don't build a model that fits all. I don't just cater in the NHS, nor do you here in Alberta. Remember one thing from this. 
You save lives. Doesn't matter what role you play, whether you're the caterer, the porter, the nurse, the dietitian, you save lives. And that was what we wanted, the fact that we wanted to get across. And we wanted to have something that worked for everyone, that everyone could focus on. So we were on that railway line that was going in one straight direction. So we had an idea. We'd had protected mealtimes. However, some people took that that meant the bell rang, all out, everybody left the ward, and then realised nobody could serve the food to the patient laying in the bed. So we had this idea about mealtimes matters. I sat there and I said, Do you know, we need focus. So this is what happened. How did we overcome those barriers? Well, I saw it yesterday when I met your board. And what a refreshing look it was. They are already, your barrier one has already been broken because they're already engaged. They already want to do it. They're already doing it. But I had to get senior nurses at board level to buy into nutrition, to understand that food and drink was part of a patient's care plan. And that's the biggest hurdle we'd got. Ward routines had to be reassessed. What we were finding was the patient was just about to tuck into a meal and x-ray turn up because they'd re-rostered the way that they wanted to work so they could have their lunch time between 12 and 1. So all the patients at 12 o'clock were being taken to x-ray for certain uh, procedures. So the, we had to reassess every little thing of how we were going to do this so we could get the Mealtimes Matters concept embedded. So again, it's shaping the service to match the patient needs, not the service dictating. We had to recognise that food was part of the treatment. Part of the hospital food plan that I sat on with the government, they just wanted a box ticking exercise. We demanded that part of this, the board made it mandatory that Mealtimes Matters and it was reportable. And that was a, one of the biggest changes, fundamentally, that allowed us to do this. But you don't need to worry about this in Alberta because your board is already forward-thinking and already got that in process. We needed collaboration. We needed everybody to collaborate with us, to work with us, to help us, and we were just the caterers. However, they now had got somebody who was going to champion it and wasn't scared of taking people on and changing the culture. I thought I'd have a battle, but I didn't. The doctors wanted it, the nurses wanted it, the dietitians wanted it. So we collaborated, and I'm going to come on to that later. Effective, clear communication is key to any Mealtimes Matters. We didn't want reams and reams of paper. Mealtimes Matters, the process is written on half a side of A4. That's it. I wanted effective, clear communication. And when a document arrives and it's 72 pages thick, nobody reads it. The power of free. Whenever we talk about now ward-level catering or food services, we talk about the power of free in the UK. The power of free is all about everybody. It's about being together. It's about everyone being involved. It's about achieving something. And like anything I do, it's about more. I use that word quite a lot, more. The only this words I don't use at all, and we should ban them from the uh, English dictionary, one's impossible. Nothing is impossible in this life. It may take you slightly longer to get there on your railway track, 
but you will get there. There is always a way of achieving your aim and goal. So I always use the word, I want more. I want to achieve more. We're together for patients. That's what the power of free is about. Somebody once said to me, well, you work in a hospital. It's not about the, really about money. It's not about the patient anymore. It's about the money and the staff who work in it. I know it's about the money. It's also about the staff. But if we haven't, I ask one question back. I'm confused. If we haven't got patients, we haven't got an hospital. So where I'm coming from, always think about the patient. That's what we're together for. That's what the power of free is about. It was also about better understanding of each of us' roles. As caterers, we didn't really understand what the nurses did and how what we did in the kitchen and when we sent the food up to the ward and the drinks rounds, how that impacted on what the nurses did or the drugs that the doctors were doing. We just were providing a service. We understood what the dietitian's role was because we worked very closely. But again, that had become very blurred. We'd do a menu, pass it to the dietitians, they'd code it and send it back. End of. But we wanted more than that. We wanted to tailor this to meet the patient's needs and requirements. So that's one way we worked about mealtimes matters. So who needed educating? Because everybody understood it. Or did they? That was one of the questions we found from the pilots. Hospital nutrition training should be mandatory for all organisations, and that includes doctors, nurses, dietitians, caterers, persons serving the food at the ward level. We have now got that started to be rolled out. We've got chefs again doing training of dietary supplements, understanding what malnutrition is, understanding what obesity is, understanding how what they do impacts on the patient. So we've made that mandatory. And it's not just about the nursing. That's what we were trying to say. Food is the best form of medicine. That's the mantra that I always use. It should be a level footing with infects, troll and pressure areas. We have this thing in the UK called the CQC. They audit hospitals to make sure they're safe and they're providing quality. I was on that panel who set their nutritional standards. Sadly, they never asked about them when they did their audits. Now they have to mandatory ask and trusts have to provide their food policies and understand about how mealtimes matters. And it's observed. That's key. In the UK, 20 years ago, somebody came up with the idea that let's call catering hotel services. But it started to conjure up a different remit. And we're changing that. What we're actually asking for is caterers, and we've now developed it. We're now part of the nursing team. We report to the director of nursing on the successful sites. So we're becoming embedded into the clinical roles. So we are embedded, we work with the nurses, but we're part of their team. We work with the doctors, we're part of their team. We're not on hotel services. That give, gave everybody the wrong impression. So who's involved? I'm not going to go into this, but everybody's involved, from the pharmacist to the dietitian to the matron to the senior nurse to the relatives and carers, because that was another thing we forgot about Mealtimes Matters. The relatives and the carers, how do they fit into this? So then we looked at the last nine yards, because like here in Alberta, you buy in a lot of your food. It's not produced on site. There's a massive argument in the UK at the moment raging. What's good? You know, oh, everybody has to fresh cook. I'm a chef by trade. I'd love it. Sadly, there's not enough chefs and it's costly. So we buy food in. It's a 50-50 split. But I use the argument, it's not about the food where it's cooked or the way it's cooked, it's how it's served at the ward level. The last nine yards, that is what a patient sees. That's what it's judged on. So we had a vision. We agreed a vision between the power of three. 
We've got NHS England on board. We've now got NHS Scotland, NHS Wales and NHS Northern Ireland and social care. We've done something that our government couldn't do and that's get everybody to agree on this last nine yards vision. So the menus are tailored for the patient groups. So we've got elderly menus, acute menus, paediatric menus. And the elderly menus were all focused about smaller meals, making the meals that they wanted. It's all about comfort food. Breakfast is one of the main meals of the day. That is one of the main meals to focus on. And toast is the ultimate comfort food. So that was where we sort of platformed from. We centred on the patient. The focus was on the patient. We involved them. That was critical. If they're to get well, especially the elderly who are malnourished when they come in, we had to focus on what they wanted to eat, not what we thought they wanted to eat, what they actually wanted to eat, to eat and drink. One of the areas that we looked at was patients required assistance eating. How did we do that? One day, somebody had the idea of getting volunteers. And I said, well, you've got 1,600 people working this one trust alone. Would any of them volunteer at lunchtime? Oh, no, they're on their lunch break. So we, put a, we, we sent an email around. We put a couple of posters up. We had 220 volunteers from their own workforce to help patients eat at lunchtime. So we knew it worked. And this is something I... It's the ward end service where patients judge us. If we get that wrong, they won't eat the food. If they don't eat the food, they're not going to get well. They're going to stay in hospital longer. We're going to have repeat malnourishment. I am ashamed as a caterer to say that when somebody comes into hospital malnourished or on the borderline, if we send them home malnourished, I failed. But we had mealtime coordinators on the ward who actually coordinated all the volunteers and all the action service. So we got one point of call. They gathered all the staff prior to service to ensure we highlighted what patients needed assistant eating. We had this thing about red trays. If you needed assistance eating, we give you a red tray. We've got rid of that. We now go to a red dot for dignity because we didn't want to highlight to the wider world that that patient needed special treatment. That goes against the dignity of the patient. So we've just come up with a red dot on the tray. So we have this coordinator who brought this in. It ensures the required that they are identified. Patients receive the required assistance. Some just might need the food cutting up. Some actually might need assistance feeding. Ensuring the meal choices that they've made are on the trolley. As caterers, we need to ensure that the, when they order the meal, it's what they receive. If they're to get better, to enjoy their food, to get the right nutrition, to prevent them being malnourished, but to prevent their, ensure they recover quicker, that was key. There's nothing worse than laying in a hospital bed and saying, oh, I've ordered fish and chips and macaroni cheese turns up. They won't eat it because you, that's not what you're expecting. Using meal choice sheets to coordinate this. Ensuring patients have a positive manner. We actually realised... We had to sit patients up, wash their hands. So we give them wipes so they could wash their hands. That was a complicated exercise because originally they were alcohol wipes. But because of all the cultural issues that we've all faced these days, we couldn't give out. Some patients didn't want alcohol, even on rubs. So we had to find an alcohol-free wipe. Reporting any food quality issues. And I think this is key. We've got this mantra, if you don't feel it's right to serve or you wouldn't eat it yourself, don't serve it. Signing off the meal process sheet at the end, that was a case of just signing in, making sure the patients who needed it were under the must tool. I think you use the must tool here in Canada. 
that's a tool basically checking the BMI, checking they're malnourished, and we put, do that at the, when the, every patient is screened when they come in, but the vulnerable patients are all screened when they leave as well to ensure. Some obviously would leave malnourished, but we ensure then they're followed up into the social care element, and we follow that through. That's essential. It allows, we then got a sheet, allows patients to tick what they wanted, which I know you've got here, but we actually changed it. It wasn't done the day before, because the food's already ordered, it's in transit. It's probably in, in the freezer or in the fridge. We actually do it two meals in advance. That's the maximum. That is now legislative. Because what we wanted to do, people's eating habits change. They, they might not feel like what they've ordered when it arrives. So two meals in advance. So at lunchtime today, and a lot of areas now, at breakfast, sorry, they would order for supper tonight. But a lot of hospitals are actually moved. They order at breakfast for lunch, lunch for supper. Waste has been reduced. We've had cost savings, which has allowed us to put more snacks on for the patients, which again encourages them to eat more, encourages them to get well back quicker. It also streamlines the nurses' process because they're not doing it. It's one person. Where everybody used to get involved, it's now one person who coordinates it. It ensures the patient's experience. Feedback is essential. Any feedback that we give, we act upon. We're constantly changing our menus to meet the different trends. So it was about making the experience and listening to what the patients have said. The paediatrics, a great one. I've just done some work with paediatrics. I've now developed a menu that's from 3 to 11, in 11 to 16. But it's focused around what the patients, the carers, the nurses have told us. Yes, I've still got pizza on the menus. But whereas the children want the 0 to 11s wanted chicken nuggets, the older ones didn't want chicken nuggets. They wanted chicken strips. So everybody's got chicken strips. Yes, we've still got alphabet spaghetti on from 0 to 11. We took alphabet spaghetti off 11 to 16s because they wanted the vowels put in so they could tell us what they actually thought. So we did it. But again, it's featuring on what the patients want. The elderly, we've now got a cream tea in the afternoon. They get a cake and a cream tea, they get at night, they get a snack at night, and that's great for the diabetics because what we found was it's a long period from six in the evening to eight in the morning when they got breakfast. So we've got diabetic patients who were going IPO during the night. So we put a snack on in the evening. Now those snacks can vary from a piece of fruit, piece of cake, a small chocolate bar, because what the elderly and a lot of the patients say, when they're at home, they just have a small chocolate bar. The dietitians, some of the dietitians in the room, when we heard that from the power of free, were, oh, you can't give them that. They'll get fat. Hello, 60% of everybody coming into a hospital of elderly are malnourished. Oh, yeah, but you can't give them chocolate. Well, what will the papers say? I've yet to see what the papers do say. Hopefully they won't. But what we're saying is it's about focusing on the patient, giving them what they wanted. But what happened was with the diabetic patients, they got a better night's sleep. They became less hypotensive in the morning. Their sugar levels were down when they got up and they recovered quicker. This was all about also improving the drug intake. The drugs budget, since we've got the mealtimes matters involved in the NHS, has dropped by a staggering 5%. Because food is now becoming the key form of medicine. 5% doesn't sound a lot, but when you're spending up to a billion a year on drugs... Certainly adds up. Opening of packaging. Packaging's really odd. I bought a pair of scissors recently in them blister packs. It actually said on it, I need a pair of scissors to open it. 
But how many of you have struggled with cheese portions? One elderly lady recounted to me that she was struggling to open a cheese portion. She said, and it was only when her teeth came out and attached to it that she realised that she needed a help. But the serious thing is there, we have to make it easier. And I'll be the brave one to say, it is not a nurse's job to open packaging. It is the manufacturer's job to make packaging easier. And finally, what will the future look like for us? We know malnutrition's on the rise. In the UK, 60% of everybody in the UK and then over age 65 are malnourished. We've got to focus on obesity. We're taking that focus off obesity. We need to put it on malnourished. Malnutrition is not a word that people like to hear. And malnutrition is a word that people associate not with the fifth richest economy in the world. I can say since we brought Mealtimes Matters in that the hospitals would have currently embraced it and fully taken it on board. Patients going home malnourished has dropped to 12%. Job done in my view if that's what we do. But we need to ensure that we stop them coming back into hospital malnourished. And that is my next target. Thank you for listening.